Okay, we're talking about angels, um, and here is the, uh, here's the summary. Angels are created spiritual beings with moral judgment and high intelligence, but without spiritual, but without physical bodies. They're created. They haven't always been. They haven't always existed. God made them, um, and they're spiritual beings instead of having a body. But uh, we see that they choose right and wrong, and they exercise judgment. Some of them did wrong. Some of them did evil. They're moral. They have moral judgments, and they have intelligence, but they don't have physical bodies. Well, what kind of things are these? Why did God make these things anyway? And that's the question that we deal with angels. Last night, um, uh, I was just saying to Margaret, um, the lesson tomorrow will be on angels. And she said, oh, you're talking about me. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I said almost. Okay, what are angels? Uh, created spiritual beings. They're created. Um, Nehemiah, in a prayer to God, Nehemiah says, uh, You are the Lord, you alone, you have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host. With all their host. And this word host, um, uh, in Hebrew, tzabaoth, it's uh, armies, or angelic beings, heavenly beings. And so the host of heaven, here Nehemiah says, Lord, you made these as well, as well as the earth and everything that is in it. And then at the end of the verse, the host of heaven worships you. So that gives us a little more sense of what is with all their host mean. The host of heaven, meaning a mighty force of heaven, the heavenly armies, and those were made. Or Colossians 1.16, talking about Christ, for by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Here's talking about invisible things that God made uh, through Christ. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, different names for heavenly beings or angelic beings, all things were created through him and for him. And so, um, when God decided to make the universe and make the stars and the planets and make the earth, make the mountains and the seas and make the plants and the animals and make us... He also decided that he would make a whole realm of things that we can't see right now. Why? I'm not sure why. We'll try to find some reasons, some benefits for them, but it just expands our thinking about God's creation to make us think, oh, God has a whole realm that's invisible to us, but, but that is there, and it does certain things, and the angels and these other heavenly beings do certain things to influence our world. Now, uh, they exercise moral judgment. We see that because some of them sin. In fact, 2 Peter 2, 4, if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. So there, some angels sinned. They, they rebelled against God. They turned against God. Um, and they have high intelligence because, well, one thing, they, they can speak to human beings and human language is a very, very sophisticated um, ability for creatures to have. Um, you see it, well, our cat tries to talk to us in the morning sometimes, but he just can't get the words out. <laughs> and you kind of get a sense, but, uh, but man, man, mastering human language is uh, beyond the animal kingdom. Uh, as, as wonderful as it is, and, um, and yet angels can talk to people. 
So uh, the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. There's uh, a manifestation of high intelligence to be able to communicate meaningfully in human language. And then um, they have high intelligence because they worship God and give praise to him. So in Revelation 4.11, the heavenly creatures are saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So when you see the angels and these other heavenly beings around God's throne worshiping, we see again they have high intelligence because they're able to offer intelligent worship to God. But they're spirits, spirits without physical bodies. And so Hebrews 1.14 says of angels, um, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? That's us. So, so God, God made them, and then he's, he sent them to, to minister for us, to help us in different ways, even though they're invisible. Or, um, and and just, to, just to give, by contrast, Jesus, after he's raised from the dead, he says, See my hands and feet as I myself touch me, and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So this is kind of a sense that something that's just a spirit, a ministering spirit like angels, that's different from Jesus' resurrection body, which, which had a physical reality to it. So there's, there's spirits without physical bodies. Uh, so they don't have physical bodies, therefore we can't see them unless God gives us the ability to see them. But sometimes they, take, they temporarily take on human bodily form. So sometimes in the Bible, God gives people the ability to see angels. Um, so Balaam was going off to issue this prophecy against the people of Israel. And uh, his donkey stopped. It wouldn't go forward. And it wouldn't go forward. And he gets off and he beats it. And then the donkey says, why are you beating me? <laughs> and he should have figured something's wrong here when the donkey starts speaking. You know, have I, have I acted like this before? No, says Balaam. Well, anyway... Uh, <laughs> That was really strange, contradicting what I said earlier about cats not being able to use human language. That was a kind of a miraculous event. I don't think it was the donkey really having that ability. But anyway, uh, then all of a sudden what happens is the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in his way with his drawn sword in his hand and he bowed down and fell on his face. Now the angel was there. Somehow God gave the donkey the ability to see it before he gave Balaam the ability to see it. But then all of a sudden his eyes were opened and he saw it. Or here's the situation with Elisha. He is um, uh, in the city of Dothan and the Syrian army is coming to capture him. And they surround the city and Elisha's servant is very nervous and, and worried and fearful. And say, what are we going to do with this great army out here? And Elisha says, well, those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. And the servant doesn't understand what's going on. But then it says, Elisha prayed and said, Oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So there, the angels were there, horses and chariots of fire, an angelic army protecting him. But, but the servant couldn't see it until God gave him eyes to see it. Now, isn't that something? That somehow, this ability to see things in the spiritual realm, we don't have. Now, I thought of a couple of examples. You know, I don't know if you ever had those, when you were a child, 
you, you or children get them. You get these this special little cartoon book or something that comes in the cereal box, and you can't see what it is. And then you put on these special plastic glasses, and then you can see that there are these special figures in there. Um, and uh, so, but you need the special glasses to see that. Or another example. Um, if you have some kinds of color blindness in certain color ranges, I don't know if you've ever seen those kind of pictures. That, they look just like dots, but if you stare at them for a minute, you see, oh, there's a, there's a kind of an image there. There's a word or a picture or something. And the problem is, Margaret would see these things, like we go to some museum, and she'd say, oh, yeah, that's such and such. And, that. and I'd look, and I'd look, and I'd stand there, relax your eyes, focus your eyes. I don't know. I can't see it. Why? Well, finally, I took this test, and I have color blindness in some areas of greens and browns. And, of course, if you've got to see the greens and browns that, you know, distinguish there, then I just can't do it. I don't have the ability to do it. But some people can see those greens and browns. Now, let's say seeing angels is something like that. But all of us, God doesn't give that ability to right now. Except sometimes the Lord opens people's eyes. And then you can see what's there. It was there all along, but you didn't have the ability to see it. You didn't have the glasses, the right lenses on or the right ability in your eye. So I think there's something like that going on where from time to time, God can open the eyes of people so they see what other people can't see. There's a, there's a reality there. Does that make sense? So I don't, I don't think, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not aware of ever having seen an angel. But um, back when we lived in Illinois, church we went to, every once in a while, people would say they saw angels at the front of the church service during the worship time. Well, I didn't see it, but I believed them that they weren't they weren't lying. They just there was God gave certain people an ability to see in the spiritual realm. And I have a friend uh, who um, I went went to their city uh, to speak one time, and we were staying at their house, and they said, you know, when um, well the the, um, the of the couple that lives there, they had, I think they had four kids, and the and and the um, there was a period of time when they were involved in pretty intense spiritual conflict because of a project that was going on. I won't mention any more details, but it really had to do with opposition to a whole lot of evil that was going on in their country. Actually, it was a different country from the United States. And while they were working on this project, intensely involved in it, and rethinking there was a lot of conflict, there Ten-year-old, eight, nine, ten, I think he was about ten, one morning he said, what are those men doing out in our backyard? And, and the rest of the family looked and they said, what men? We don't see any. Yeah, there are, there are four of them out there. And the rest of the family couldn't see him. But he was sure. I mean, and he wasn't faking it. And morning after morning he'd get up and there'd be those, those four men standing out there just standing guard. And one time he went out and walked up to one of them and said, hi. And I don't know if the, I think it was angels. And, and uh, they, I can't remember what they said about the angel responding, maybe just a little nod or something. And then one day, he said there were about 30 of them. And then they were standing there, and then they turned around and marched off, going someplace else. Wow. And, I mean, this is a really 
sane, sober, responsible, not flaky Christian family. And, uh, and uh, well, educated and thoughtful, and they're not exaggerating, but, you know, I talked to this little kid. He, just, uh, he, just, he was honest about it. And uh, that's what he saw. So God gave him the ability to see this. Now, why? I think, I think, um, well, why were the angels there? I think they were protecting this family when they were involved in a really intense conflict against some evil stuff going on in their country. But why did God give this 10-year-old the ability to see that? I think to encourage the hearts of the mom and dad who were kind of on the front line of that conflict, to say, look, you're not alone. Um, and for the Lord to say, I've sent protection for you and for your home. And um, I think that's good. And in the same way, why did people see these angels at the front of the church service where we were? I think to remind us that there is a spiritual realm that's real. And... And God is at work, and he'll protect us, and he'll carry out his purposes. And there is a reality to this spiritual realm that, that, uh, that we can forget about sometimes. And it, when we realize that we get this little glimpse into this spiritual realm, then all of a sudden, it, I think it, it stirs up our hearts to trust in God more and worship him more and be aware that he's doing much more in the world than we realize. So that's what happened with, with Elisha and the servant at Dothan. Um, Luke 2.13, apparently all the shepherds saw this one when the baby Jesus was born, and uh, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. Here's that word again, these armies of heaven, these great innumerable multitudes, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those on whom his favor rests. So they could see there was something going on in the spiritual realm. It had been going on for a long time, but all of a sudden, they got a glimpse of it. And in Hebrews 13, the author <clears throat> encourages, the author encourages the readers, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Um, very interesting. So he seems to think that in the ordinary lives of Christians, when sometimes they show hospitality to a stranger, uh, it actually is an angel. And I've heard a number of stories of that happening in different people's lives where all of a sudden there was someone there and then, then the, the person was mysteriously gone. Um, and I, I think the sum, it probably refers to uh, Abraham who showed hospitality to, to, to strangers and it was the Lord and two angels who appeared to him um, but, uh, but perhaps others as well. Now, <clears throat> so there's um, angels. There are other names for angels. In addition to being called angels, <clears throat> I didn't say, but the, the Greek name angelos, angel, means messenger. And uh, malak in the, uh, uh, in the Hebrew is, again, messenger, so that's the kind of the generic category. There are messengers that God sends to do different things. Um, but there are other names. Sometimes they're called sons of God. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. So that, uh, he was uh, somehow involved in that heavenly council. 
or assembly. And then sometimes they're called holy ones. Psalm 19, verse 5. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. I, I didn't mention, I should mention for the sake of the, of the tape here, the first verse was Job 1, 6, sons of God. And then here's Psalm 89, 5. Uh, Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. There they're called holy ones. Or Psalm 89, 7. God is a God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome among all, above all who are around them. Holy would mean um, uh, pure, of more, free from moral stain. <clears throat> Sometimes they're called spirits. Hebrews 1.14, I mentioned before, are they not all ministering spirits who are sent out to serve for the sake of those who are, who are to inherit salvation? In the book of Daniel 4.13, they're called watchers. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven, apparently indicating that they're kind of watching and observing and keeping track of what is going on on the earth. And then in Colossians 1.16, they're called thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, these heavenly forces, different names indicating influence or power over the earth. Are there other kinds of beings besides things that are called specifically angels? Yes, there are. Some other kinds of invisible to, beings that are invisible to us, but they're there in heaven. We have the cherubim, and the I am ending in Hebrew, I am is... A, is a, it's the same as the S ending, making it plural in English for us. So angel, angels uh, in English, or cherub, we might say cherubs, but the Hebrew plural is cherubim, and so a lot of times in the Bible these are called cherubim. So um, uh, Genesis 3.24, God drove out the man at the east of the Garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim. And a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Or here, interestingly enough, when God came to appear among his people, it says he rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of a wind. And in Exodus 25:22, when it talks about the furnishings that were to be made for the tabernacle... God says, there I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, and from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. So, uh, God had the people make this ark of the covenant, this box, uh, covered on all sides with gold, that contained the Ten Commandments, and then, and then over the top of it, these large figures of heavenly creatures, with their wings touching just over the top, of the, uh, of the Ark of the Covenant, and then they were there kind of guarding or standing just over the Ark. They were gold figures, actually physical figures, but they were representing a spiritual reality. And then God says, from above the cherubim, I will meet with you. That is where God was. So they sort of formed God's throne, these heavenly creatures, in the, uh, in the, in the, at least in the pictorial evidence that's given there in the tabernacle. Um, and then there are seraphim, or the singular would be a seraph. And here we find them only mentioned one time in, uh, in Isaiah, Isaiah 6, 2 to 7. Uh, above him stood the seraphim. Um, this, I didn't, I didn't put Isaiah 6, 1 here. Let me just go back to the, go back a verse and read this. In the year that King 
Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And then verse 2, above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. Why? Perhaps because uh, to, to indicate that the purity and holiness of God was too much to look at. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds, just where, where Isaiah was, or was looking into the heavenly scene, the foundations of the thresholds shook. At the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim, these are these heavenly creatures around God's throne, one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this is... Touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. So there are these other creatures around God's throne. And then there's something else. There are what are called living creatures in Ezekiel. And I don't know if these are, the, if these are similar to or different from the cherub, cherubim and seraphim. I think they're different things yet. And the, the, the Hebrew word and the Greek word that's used to translate it then in the New Testament uh, when we get to this other passage in Revelation, it just means something living or a living thing, but it's not applied to plants. It's just applied to a kind of in a ge- generic sense, applied to uh, human beings or animals that are living, but here it's applied to heavenly creatures that are living. What kinds of creatures are these? From the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures. And this is a heavenly scene again. Four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had a human likeness. Sort of like human beings. But Ezekiel, you get this, it's like this, it's like this. He's not quite able in language to describe exactly what he sees. So he's saying, well, it's sort of like this, it's sort of like this. So they had a human likeness, but each had four faces. And each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like burnished bronze, so they're bright, uh, gleaming creatures. Under their wings and on their four sides, they had human hands. And the four had their faces and their wings thus. The wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. This amazing scene that Ezekiel is seeing. And as for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face... But then, he explains more, they actually had four faces. The four had the face of a lion on the right side, and the four had the face of an ox on the left side, and the four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces, and their wings were spread out above. So, I suppose this is a a representation of the the ruling or most powerful uh, part of different aspects of God's creation. The lion would be the kind of the the king of the beasts or the the most powerful or the dominant animal in the animal kingdom of wild animals. And then the ox in the ancient world would be the strongest of the domesticated animals. And then the eagle would be the one that would be sort of the supreme bird over all the flying animals. 
and with a lot of dignity and majesty, and then, of course, a human face. And so their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies, and they went straight forward. Wherever the spirit would go, they went, without turning as they went. And the likeness of the living creatures, as for their likeness, their appearance was like burning coals of fire. Well, there's brightness. There's, they're like bronze. But then he says, well, do you know how to... If you think of the charcoal and the charcoal grill and those coals are just they're bright red, burning hot. He said, well, it was sort of like that, too. <clears throat> like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning, and the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. That's a lot of stuff going on that Ezekiel got a picture of, and we don't see. But Ezekiel's saying, well, this is... This is what is happening with great majesty in heaven. And you go over to the book of Revelation, Revelation 4, we get more description of these living creatures. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures. <clears throat> these are very similar to the ones in Ezekiel. I don't know if it's fuller description or if it's some modification, but they seem to be very similar Four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. Meaning what? Well, they see everything. They're aware of everything. And the first living creature like a lion, the second like an ox, the third with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an angel eagle in flight. Here in Revelation 4, uh, 6 to 8. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I don't think they say that just because they're assigned to say that. I think they are in the presence of God and they're overwhelmed with the power and the majesty and the holiness of God. And as they are there, they, they just they can't do anything but worship and praise God for his holiness, his majesty, his power. And that's, I think, what we would do if we were there in the presence of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. He's eternal. He's almighty. He's morally absolutely pure. He's holy. So those are the living creatures. Now, with these different kinds of unseen beings, and I'm going to focus mostly on <clears throat> what are called angels, there is some rank and order among the angels. <clears throat> this is an interesting thing. <clears throat> but uh, we have in Jude, um, this statement, Jude 9, but when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, etc., archangel means, seems to mean a ruling angel, a higher-ranking angel. So there's rank and order. And here, Revelation 12, 7 to 8, war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. Michael and his angels seems like he, Michael seems to have authority or command over many other angels. And, um, and here in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel. An archangel, a ruling angel. So there's rank and order. What does that mean? It means that even among sinless creatures, there's some need for authority and structure. And uh, when we talk about ethics, I use the example of angels to say, 
authority in human society or authority among God's creatures isn't just because we need to restrain evil and sin. It is for that. But even where there's no sin, we need some authority to give order and, um, and uh, uh, some kind of direction. And so there are angels, and then there are archangels. It doesn't mean there's sin or evil among those angels. It just means there are different levels of authority and responsibility. There are only two names of specific angels given in Scripture, but again, when, they give, when they're given specific names, it seems like they're, that means they have different personalities, I suppose. They have individual identities. So Michael, in those previous verses that we just mentioned, the archangel Michael in Jude 9 and in Revelation 12, Michael and his angels. And then there's this other angel called Gabriel. Uh, Michael, who, meaning who is like God, uh, essentially the imply, implying no one, and Gabriel, uh, the warrior of God. Um, Daniel 8.16, I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Ulai River, and it called Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So here in Daniel, we've got this one angel named Gabriel. And then when Zechariah... Zechariah and Elizabeth are going to have a child, John the Baptist, and Zechariah is in the temple. And Zechariah said to the angel, well, how shall I know this, that it's going to happen, that we're going to have a child? And the angel answered him and said, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. (laughs) You think you'd believe that? And think of that job description. How'd you like that to be your job? I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. Wow. Amazing. God sends him on different missions. He's sent from the king. From the creator and sustainer of the universe. From the omnipotent God. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. I read that again and again. I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. Mm. Wow. Angels are only one place at one time. Only one place at one time. Um, God is everywhere present because he is infinite. But when God created creatures, he made us to be finite, and that means we're limited by space and, I think, time as well. And so angels are only one place at one time. And so Luke 1, well, um, just in this, I was sent to speak to you. That means Gabriel had to travel from the presence of God manifested in heaven and to, uh, uh, to speak to, um, to, speak to uh, Zechariah and Gabriel also came to Mary. Here, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee. That's traveling from one place to another. He was in one place at one time. And then Daniel 10, then he speaks to Mary. Uh, Daniel 10, 12 to 14, um, the angel says, Fear not, Daniel, um, uh, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the king of Persia, and I came to make you understand what is to happen. So, again, um, here, um, 
Michael came to help me, and then there's traveling to uh, one, one place and not, not another among angels. So they're one place at one time. Um, how many angels are there? Don't know. Um, short answer, a lot. Uh, a large number. And uh, when we get indications of numbers of angels in the Bible, they're just these large, these words for large numbers that can't be counted. So Deuteronomy 33, 2, he said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. Psalm 68, 17, The chariots of God are twice ten thousand, thousands upon thousands. Uh, Hebrews 12, 22, You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, to innumerable angels in festal gathering. I'll come back to that in a few minutes about our worship. When we worship, we come into the presence of innumerable angels. Or in Revelation 5, 11, um, I heard round the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. I looked up in my Greek dictionary last night. What is this word, myriad? Uh, what does that... Uh, I can't remember. It's, I, I, the Greek word for myriad, it's myriadus or something. Um, I'd have to look again. But it, it either means, uh, means 10,000 or it means a large number that is <laughs> kind of innumerable. And here, myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands of these angels. So many, many, many. Um, now, the question comes up, do we have individual guardian angels? Is there one for... Um, Jerry and one for Marty here sitting up in the front, and another one for Clyde, another one for Elaine, and they've each got an angel. I don't think so. I don't think we each have one specific angel assigned to us. I don't think there's specific support for that. People have looked at a couple of verses, um, but I don't think these prove that everybody has one angel. Uh, it does say that in Psalm 91, 11 to 12, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Okay, but that doesn't say one per person. It just means God will send them to, to, to guard us. And then Matthew 18.10, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. People have said, well, maybe that means each child has one angel, but I don't think it requires you to think that. Maybe it's just angels who are assigned to protect uh, these little ones or these children. So... Um, so, uh, so I guess the idea is they're playing, they can play zone rather than man-on-man defense. <laughs> Use an athletic analogy. <clears throat> Angels do not marry. Um, Jesus says in Matthew twenty-two thirty, in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. I think like angels in heaven means not marrying and given in marriage. Um, and uh, let's see, number 10, the power. Of, I'll get to the end of 10 and 11 and then stop for a minute and see if you want to talk about some of these things. The power of angels. Well, they're just called very powerful. Psalm 103:20, <clears throat> You as angels, you mighty ones who do his word. They're mighty. And <clears throat> Ephesians 1:21, I think this is angelic powers where it talks about being far above all rule and authority and dominion. Um, where Jesus is above all of those. Or Second Peter 2.11, angels, though greater in might and power uh, than these uh, other, other human beings, I guess, 
uh, do, uh, these human beings, do not pronounce a blasphemous judge. Oh, perhaps greater in might and power than the demons. Oh, I should look now before. Second Peter 2.11, I've forgotten. Angels are greater in might and power than the, oh, the glorious ones. Uh, oh, that's a little bit hard to know. <laughs> They're greater than something. Um, probably uh, either the false teachers or the uh, demonic spirits empowering them. But the angels are greater in might and power than that. Hebrews 2, or Hebrews 2 7, uh, talking about the Son of Man and probably human beings in general, you made him for a little while lower than the angels, and then it's applied to Christ, uh, lower than the angels. Our status here on earth, a little while lower than the angels. Or, but, 1 Corinthians 6, 3, do you not know that we are to judge angels? At one point uh, in the future, God is going to give us the job of evaluating how well angels have done in the roles that God has given them. Isn't that interesting? How many of you have ever um, done a review or filled out a report on somebody that reported to you or somebody that you had supervisory authority for? A lot of you, probably. And many of you have... Um, filled out an online survey on how, or you go to a restaurant and you leave a tip, according, you evaluate how well, how good the service was, right? We do that, we, uh, we don't, or you voted on, uh, what was this show you can call in and vote on performers? American Idol or something like that. You, we evaluate all, we evaluate a lot all the time. You go to a restaurant, you evaluate whether you like the food or not. And so somehow God is going to give us the ability to evaluate even um, angels. Um, interesting. Then who is the angel of the Lord? Sometimes the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, basically I'm going to say it depends on the context, look at the context. Sometimes in the, in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord is God himself. Um, so Hagar uh, said, truly here I've seen him who looks after me in Genesis sixteen thirteen or Genesis 31, 11 and 13. The angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and he said, here I am. And he said, I am the God of Bethel. Well, there, it was it's first called an angel, and then, then he says, I am God. And then in Exodus 3, in the burning bush, the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So the angel of the Lord was God himself. Um, maybe God the Son, uh, um, in a number of cases, it's a little hard to be sure, but sometimes the angel of the Lord is, is, is divine, is God. But other times, it's just an angel sent from God. And so, um, uh, here the angel of the Lord was by the... Let's see. The Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who was working destruction among the people, as 2 Samuel twenty four sixteen. It is enough, now stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of a round of the Jebusite. So here, the Lord commands this angel to stop, and it is called the angel of the Lord. And Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. I think that means who fear the Lord, and delivers them. And, and Luke 1, 11, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So sometimes it's the Lord, sometimes it's just a messenger, and uh, you just have to look at the context. Okay, now, that's 11 points. I just kind of was rushing through that. Now, is there anything that, that uh, I forgot your name. Rosemary. Rosemary. Do the angels uh, make decisions based on their own, or is everything Go directly ahead. from God? Say, say it again. 
Do the angels make decisions on their own, or is everything directly from God? I, okay, do the angels make decisions on their own? I think they do, because um, it looks like Michael, the archangel, is commanding some angels to do things and commanding others not to. Um, Sometimes they're sent by God to do things, but I, I think maybe they're just given a general assignment and then they make decisions on their own in the individual situations. Otherwise, how could we evaluate how they've done? <clears throat> my guess is, my, and Rosemary, my other instinct on that is if they have moral judgment and intelligence and God made them, just like us, to be able to evaluate and make decisions on what they're going to do in certain situations. Seems right. And then some of them sinned. You know, they, they made decisions. So I think I think so. Who else? Okay, Chantel. Angel, how come uh, Satan is called a son of God? Well, I'm not sure Satan is called a son of God there. It says the sons of God came to appear and Satan was with them or something. So maybe it's separate. But... Or it may be that if angels are called sons of God, then some of them sinned, and so they were evil. I, I'm, I'm, I, I thought about that when I read that verse. It's a little unusual, uh, and I'd have to look at it more. I'm not sure. Not normally would Satan be called in that, that, that sense a creature. But yeah. Okay. What else, John? When you, when you started, you went to Second Peter 2, 4. Yep. And you talk about um, God putting Satan's angels in the dark. Yeah, yeah. My sense is that Satan's demons are the same as angels, and they, they operate just like angels. Yep, uh, but they're evil. They turn well, but bad. But they're evil, yeah. Yep, I'm, yes. I'm with you. I agree. Okay, and so what's the significance of that verse saying what it says? Why does it say then he, he uh, cast them into hell and committed them to pits of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Well, in the future, that's going to happen. Yeah, I understand. Okay. Um, well, I've got to give an honest answer. I'm not sure. Okay. I, don't, I don't know for sure. Either, I mean, there are two options. One is, some of them were just put into pits of darkness and they can't ever influence the earth anymore. Or else it just means he sent them there but allowed them then some freedom to influence the earth. Because I'm going to come to this either next week or the week after to Satan and demons. And I do think that demons are active in the world today. And they are fallen angels. They're evil angels. So I'm with you on that. And, and that very first verse, where 2 Peter 2, 4, um, somehow he casts them out of his presence, but still they have influence on the earth. Both things are true from other verses. My other observation, this is an observation, not a question. But what awes me is the power that angels have. Like when Daniel saw one, he fainted. Yep. And every time they appear in the Bible, yep. people are in fear. Yep. I've talked to one or two friends who have seen angels, and they say, when you see one, you're afraid. <laughs> because they're just huge power. Yeah. And you have a sense that they are very powerful. Yeah, and they're God's beings. Yeah, they're not God. Yeah. Pam? Do we know, uh, or in, does it say in the Bible, uh, Wayne, 
what level of angel Satan was before he was felled? Um, I'm going to come back to that, Pammy, when I do chapter 20 on Satan and demons. There's, there's a little more. There are passages in Isaiah and Ezekiel. And how are you fallen, O day star? Uh, how, how have you fallen? And you said, I will ascend on high. I'm not sure whether those refer to the fall of Satan or not, or whether it's just an earthly king. I tend to think it's probably the fall of Satan, and, they, and that he probably had a very high rank and gave it up. Yeah, there was something back here. Um, I forgot your name. Tell me your name again. Glenn. Glenn, yes. Uh, so if Satan, I'm sorry, if angels are independent moral agents, yep. they exercise free will, and yep. they sin in eternity past, can God's angels sin today? Can God's angels sin today? There's one verse that makes me think no. It's in uh, 1 Timothy 5, I think about 17 or 18, where Paul says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels. Elect angels means, I think, that those who didn't sin have been chosen and they're probably confirmed in righteousness, not able to sin anymore, I think. Yeah. Okay. Well, should we go... There was oh over here yeah I can't see your name tag Felix Felix yeah I was just thinking about the uh, Dr Mobley's uh, uh, piece on time and how the angels operate in and out of time uh, how that all fits together are they uh, subject to uh, <laughs> hi Mike how are you doing. <laughs> <laughs> Got any Einstein relativity to deal with angels? <laughs> yeah, maybe. If they're non, non-material, but they're finite. You know, there's, there's, this, uh, there's this thing about, uh, you know, your prayer was heard, Daniel, but this... Prince of Persia withstood me for 21 days, and then I came. I, so, I mean, I think they, think they experience the passage of time. Uh, but, but if you don't have, if you're not physical, still, but you're non-material. Well, but still, I mean, like radio waves take, or is that a physical thing? They take time to get places, and light takes time to get places. But if they're spirit, I'm not. I think they still take some time to get places, but I'm. I'm not sure. You want to say anything more, Mike? You're outside of the physical world. He's not an expert there. <laughs> He's a physicist. Okay. okay. Uh, what else? Anything? Okay. Uh, Clyde? If the cherubim and seraphim have wings and are able to fly, yep. perhaps the living creatures are not seraphim. Does it ever say angels have wings? Or oh, very interesting, Clyde. Uh, say that again. That's an interesting question. Cherubim and seraphim have the ability to fly. They have wings. Yep. And perhaps the living creatures, because yep. they have wings, that they're different. Yep, creatures. all these things have wings. But does it ever say the angels have wings or the ability to fly? No, it doesn't ever say that angels have wings in the Bible. It's interesting. All the artwork that we see, they always have wings, so you know it looks like an angel. Um, no, they don't. I'm not sure why. But those wings on the cherubim and seraphim and living creatures... It, it, I don't know why it's there. I mean, they, at least it's showing to us that they can travel through uh, space without, you know, 
without restraint. But yeah, I don't know why. Okay, let's see if we can go on. Where are we here? When were angels created? Before the seventh day of creation, because uh, Genesis 2, 1, thus the heaven and earth were finished and all the host of them. Again, we get that picture, host of the armies, the armies of heaven, Genesis 2, 1. Exodus 20, verse 11. In six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. So everything that's in the heavens and the earth, and that would include all these angels and cherubim and seraphim and everything. Maybe they were created on the first day because in Job 38 we read regarding the earth on what were its bases sunk or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. It looks like these are the angelic beings that are rejoicing when God formed the earth or brought shape to the earth and laid its cornerstone, etc. So perhaps they were formed on the first day of creation, not sure. I, can't, I don't want to say they're eternal, because then they'd be equal to God. So they have to be created. And those other verses talked about God making them, creating things visible and invisible. But when? Uh, surely, uh, well, then number three, I put God hasn't given much information on this, but they did rebel before the fall. Why do I have to say they, they, were, they rebelled before Genesis 3? What happens in Genesis 3? Satan comes to tempt tempt Eve in the form of a serpent. So there's evil in the spiritual realm before Genesis 3. So sometime there's a creation of the angelic world, and then then over some period of time, um, the past, and then then there was a rebellion, and you get Satan in Genesis 3 tempting Eve. So sometime between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 3-1, created and then sinned. Number four, angels rebelled before the fall, but they rebelled. If God did not spare the angels when they sinned, that's Second Peter 2-4, verse that John asked about a minute ago. And then Jude 1-6, the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. But I think the sin of angels has to be after, has to be after the six days of creation, because on the sixth day, God saw everything that he had made, Genesis 1.31, and behold, it was very good. So, um, so they're created sometime after Genesis 1.1, and still by Genesis 1.31, after the six days of creation, then still, God says, he looked at everything, and behold, it's very good. He can't see thousands of evil angels and say, behold, it's very good. So I think after that, they had to have fallen at some point. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. The place of angels in God's purpose. So what's the deal? What's the point of all this? Is there, <clears throat> it's kind of interesting, but is there any benefit to us uh, from angels or benefit from learning from angels? Well, first of all, they show the greatness of God's love and plan because, because although uh, we think of them as powerful and, uh, and uh, impressive and awe-inspiring, and they are, and people are fearful when they see them, yet... Somehow, God has made us more like himself than the angels because we are said to be in the image of God and angels aren't. <clears throat> angels are never said to be made in the image of God. They, to image, it means like God and they represent God. So Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. It's man. It's not angels. And we will have authority over angels. First uh, Corinthians 6.3, do you not know that we are to judge angels? 
Now, I didn't know that. No, Paul, but <laughs> thank you for telling me. That's pretty interesting. We are to judge angels. So you give report on how well they've done when all things are revealed. And uh, interestingly enough, angels can't bear children. They neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. They don't marry, and they can't bear children. But we have the capacity to bear children like ourselves. And then we see the greatness of God's love for mankind in that no angels were ever saved. God didn't spare the angels when they sinned. And Hebrews 2.16, it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. So here's the thing. In God's creation, he had two groups of creatures that had high intelligence and moral judgment. There were angels and there were human beings. And among the angels, a whole lot of them sinned and rebelled against God, and God saved none of them. And then among human beings, we've all sinned and rebelled against God. And what would be fair would be for God to save none of us as well, just as he did with the sinful angels. That would be fair. We couldn't object. But in fact, God did decide to save more than a few, to save a great number out of the human race. So there's grace, there's mercy, much more than what we deserve. And when we see what happened to angels, it should make us be amazed that God has given us what we do not deserve. It shows us the greatness of God's love for us. And so angels can sing, but they sing about our redemption, not about their own. We can sing, redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed by His infinite mercy, His child and forever I am. And be thankful that we've been saved. But the angels can't sing that because they've never been saved from sin. And so, Revelation 5, 9, they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Those are human categories. Human beings have been saved, not angels. And then, and I have to end with this, I think this is, this is one of the things, I, I mentioned this at the beginning, Angels remind us that the unseen world is real. The Sadducees were like the, some liberal groups today, uh, unbelievers. Uh, the Sadducees say there is no resurrection or angel or spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. And some people today are like Sadducees. But when Elijah had the eyes of, or Elisha had the eyes of the serpent, had the Lord opened the eyes of the serpent. I'm sorry. Elisha asked God to open the eyes of the servant, not the serpent. <laughs> I'm trying to hurry. I'm out of time and I'm missing words here. And then, then he sees this uh, angelic army around him. That's a reminder that the unseen world is real. And we can keep this in mind as we go to worship the next hour. It, the author of Hebrews says, you haven't come to an earthly mountain like Mount Sinai. You've, <clears throat> you've come, and I think he means when we come into worship, we come into the presence uh, to the heavenly Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. And he goes on to speak of the spirits of uh, just persons made perfect. Um, there's an unseen realm that we enter into when we come before God in prayer or in worship. So yes, I think there are angels in this room this morning. I think there are angels in the worship center when we go across the uh, courtyard here. 
I think there are angels joining with us and helping us, even if we don't see them. Just the knowledge that they're there helps us remember that there is a spiritual realm, an unseen spiritual realm that is real. And, um, and, that, and that that's where God works. And you know what? You get worried about stuff going on in the world. You read the paper and you think, oh, this is going wrong, this is going wrong. And you look at the TV news and this is going wrong and this is going wrong. And what about all, these, all this stuff going wrong in the world? And then I think, you know what? Um, God is in charge. And he has his angels watching over his people. And his purposes are sure. They will be accomplished. And he, he, will, he, he will not be frustrated. Uh, he can send an angel and destroy 10,000 of the armies uh, attacking uh, the people of Israel in the Old Testament. He can still do that today. Um, he'll build his church. Uh, his, his, uh, he, will, he will fulfill his purposes for us. And things will come out right. We can be at peace about that. Now, how am I doing? I had, let's sing one verse. I, I'm, I'm going to have to come back to uh, a little bit of this next week and then probably go on to the material on Satan and demons. Let's just sing one verse and then we've got to leave because we're at the end of time. Oh yeah, there's a lot left. Oh, there's a lot left. Oh, look at all this. Okay, whole, whole next week is going to be on angels. <clears throat> let's, sing, let's sing one verse and we'll be done.